Foundation Physiotherapy and Ballistic Sports presents Out of the Park with Barry Davis. Follow Ballistic on Twitter at Ballistic underscore sports. This week, we catch up with former Blue Jay, former Canadian Olympian, and former Montreal Expo Rob Ducey as he talks about the bumpy path he had as a hometown boy playing for the Blue Jays. I felt like I had the, the Canadian flag on my back every time I, I went out onto the field or every time I went out to, to eat. Or, so I wasn't prepared for that. I was, you know, I was young. And here's another guy who started his career with the Blue Jays during their heyday. He wasn't ready then. He never really got ready during. He's still not even ready for this podcast now. Here's Barry Davis. <laughs> Oh, are we starting now? Is that, is that what's happening? Oh, that was, swinging a miss. So that's, yeah, I like that. That was me uh, playing the role of the guy that's not ready. I'm always ready to go, Thomas. You know that. I'm ready, willing, and able. Yeah, you are. You are. It's, yeah. it's incredible every week. Yes. Uh, folks, get ready to not only hear some really cool stories about one of the first Canadians to play for the Toronto Blue Jays, but also, Thomas, uh, we get some really good financial advice from Rod Ducey, who's now in that business of insurance. And a lot of us are struggling right now because of COVID. A lot of us are out of work right now, don't know where the next paycheck's going to go, and have some money. Maybe some are dipping into their RSPs. Uh, Rob Ducey's going to help us. He's got some advice for us. And we'll also get into all that baseball talk as well. But I think it's uh, pretty fitting in what the world is going through right now that uh, we address that with Rob. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know what? I think it's a key that Rob really gives us himself. He talks about how fulfilled he is doing what he's doing now and helping people in you know, in this time, I'm sure, especially. But helping people with their finances, something that he didn't think about enough as a player. And uh, he's helping people think more about in their lives every day. It's pretty cool. We will hear from Rob Ducey. We'll talk to Raj Sapaya about this uh, lingering injury to George Springer, which went from... Uh, an oblique to a quad and how serious is a quad injury Raj Shapai will tell us next uh, but before we go to Raj well there are some things I like about the new rules in baseball and there are some things I really dislike and one of those was on display this past Saturday in Kansas City there's Tom Forth I'm Barry Davis and this is out of the park Ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys, the first pitch with Barry Davis. And the first pitch is brought to you by our good pals at Ballistic Sports. We will talk about Ballistic Sports in a second, but first of all, Tom, I figure when I have big news to break, even if it's personal big news, what better place to break it than right here on the show? So I'm going to do that right now. All right. We... Uh, can now call this company a sponsor only because I'm a part of this company. And as many of you know, many months back, I left Bass Pro and got into the car industry. Well, like any job, a lot of it is like sports. You, you, you're at some place and then an offer comes up that it just exactly fits what you want. And there's no reason to put an H there in want. It's just want. Because <laughs> before the show, we were talking about Whit Merrifield. Yes. yes. So I, I, an opportunity came my way, and I am now officially a car salesperson at Georgetown Honda. I have been a Honda driver for many years. Of course, Honda has 
always had an affiliation with the Toronto Blue Jays, so it fits in well. My wife and I both drive Hondas. I have a CRV. She has a Civic. And it's, it's out more my neck of the woods. So I have started there. And if you are interested in getting a car at any point in time, uh, Hondas are amazing. You don't drive one, but we'll get you in one at some point. No, but you're selling Hondas now. So That's I right. am I am happy to enthusiastically support the product I you're appreciate using. That. They're great. I appreciate products. that. Yes. And uh we've got some great deals right now on Civics. And Civics are, you know, the most popular car. You see them all over the place. But there's some really good incentives now uh for the twenty twenty and twenty twenty one Civics. So uh you can hit me up on Twitter at Barry Davis underscore. My DMs are open, Thomas. Wide open. You can send me baseball questions. You can send me car questions. But I am now officially selling cars for Georgetown Honda. Look us up. Be sure to come visit. And, uh, you know, we'll talk some sports. We can talk some cars. And uh, there you go. Heard it first right here on Out of the Park. More breaking news on Out of the Park like every week, Tom. Every week. We've, we've had some big ones lately. We have. Of course, the Devin Travis story that broke a couple of weeks ago. We broke it, and then... It was broken by other people, apparently. So, but we, had- you know what? Devin Travis going from his playing career to a successful career as a coach, that's a story that's too good to break. Well, that's true. <laughs> All right. Ballistic sports. You explain. I shall, sh- I shall show. I shall show. Say that five times fast. The board. Okay. Go Let's for do it. Do this. All right. So it is the world's first interactive board game sporting experience. You move around this board like you're playing Monopoly, except instead of rolling a dice and picking cards, you're actually guessing on the action ahead of you. You know a curveball's coming. You know they're going to pull a bunt. You just know that Vladdy's going to hit that 456-foot home run. Put your money where your mouth is. Play this game. Have an awful lot of fun while you're watching the game. Tom, there are a couple of things I want to talk about regarding the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, before we get to the the new rule that I am not a big fan of, I also want to talk about something else I'm not a big fan of, and that is uh, some of the umpiring that we've seen early on in the season. And I wrote about this on Twitter, and it, and it got a lot of reaction, so I'll say it again. Calling balls and strikes when they're coming at 9,500 miles an hour cannot be an easy thing to do. Having said that, umpires are paid good money, and their job is to not get a call as terribly wrong as they did with Vladimir Guerrero this past week. It was only strike two. It wasn't the third strike, but it changed his entire approach at the plate. And this ball was six inches at least outside. Yeah. Yeah, I like a challenge. I like a challenge review sort of system here. Uh, I'm I'm a huge fan of it. I've never, I'm a, baseball purist in a lot of ways but you know the umpiring thing has always bothered me right it bothered me with the triple play for the jays it bothered me with the loss of of that perfect game in detroit right it you know when umpires get in the way of a historical performance it's terrible and like the other night with laddie when they're calling a ball six feet or six inches off of that six feet six inches but a good six inches off the plate. They're calling that a strike. You take a 1-1 one, one count, you move it to a 1-2 count instead of a 2-1. What was it? I think there was two, it was the ninth inning. There's two out. Like, it completely changed the complexion of the game. 
there should be a system and and it should be you know in, in my like perfect world it would be you don't want to use it all the time you don't want to just be throwing them out at the end of the game right you want their like you want it to be for the call like vladdy the other night like when it's that bad that it's embarrassing but i mean we haven't been if able you're to, going get, to do we haven't been able to get replay right for for you know plays at the plate right we had that this week too if you are going to go with that idea that you say about a review why not just use the electronic strike zone for the whole thing right there's a way that it can give a buzz into the umpire you can still have an umpire behind home plate he's told whether it's a ball or strike and you move on right it's right there and the worst thing was the pitch prior to that tom was closer to being a strike and it was called a ball that one was maybe two inches outside yeah, it's tricky, right? Because you get into the game, and, and we've talked with a lot of catchers on here lately. And there's that ebb and flow, and like you know, the ump is calling low tonight, right? So you adjust the game to that. And I, and I know that there's some arguments that way, like that's a, an inherent part of the game. Like it's it's a human game on all sides. It's about imperfection. I don't think it should necessarily extend to the ump, but I think it brings up you know a pretty good discussion right like what do you do when that ump is calling low balls all night but not the high ones right those umps now they're gonna are they gonna lose their job if they're being held to accountable right um i don't know i think there's got to be some sort of hybrid like you know if it's that bad like the other night the computer can step in and like you know veto the ump Speaking of hybrid, Tom, if you are interested in a hybrid vehicle, uh, give me a shout. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's, That's a CRV. No, what? No. Oh no, no. Uh, it, it is coming in 2022. The hybrid CRV, but they have two models that are uh, strictly. One is a strict hybrid, and the other one is a plug-in hybrid. The hi- huh, the hi- the inside is the full hybrid. The clarity is the plug-in one and that's awesome like you could literally for me for my job it's about 30 kilometers each way okay and it's pretty much smooth driving all the way you can get 75 kilometers from a full charge of strictly electric not using your motor at all and then i get home and i can plug it in in my garage overnight i don't need a special outlet plug it in it takes about 10 12 hours to charge that way if you go to a real charging station it's much quicker but you can do it with a regular outlet. And I could conceivably use my car without ever having to use the engine. The engine is there, the, 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 you know, the gasoline engine, if, if it's needed or if you want to use it. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. I digress. Sorry about that, folks. <laughs> Don't want to get sick of me. Somebody actually tweeted to me on Saturday and referred to me as Mr. Hyundai or something like that. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not anymore. And, you know, I didn't say it because I'm not going to break it that way, right? Okay, back to baseball. Issue number two, okay? I love doubleheaders. I have no issues with doubleheaders. I think they're a lot of fun to watch. Uh, They weren't always fun to cover because it's a long day of work. But seven-inning doubleheaders? No, no. You cannot do... On Saturday, Mats was throwing a gem. Through five, he had a no-hitter. And by the way, I think he's been, up to this point, one of the most pleasant surprises 
that we've seen with this Toronto Blue Jays. Big time. Big time. Three and L out of the gate. What's ERA under two? Mm-hmm. Um, he was. Uh, we talked about him, uh, the signing at the time. He was one of those guys with that high ceiling, but nobody would have guessed this high. Not the, not this early, anyways. He's come out of the gate, and we've needed him to come out of the gate because, I mean, we're just going down like dominoes. Mm-hmm. So he had a no hitter going through five. It's a moot point because it got knocked up and knocked up. It, it ended in the sixth inning. However, on Twitter, yes, I jinxed it by not saying he had a no hitter. If he had carried that through seven innings and the game ended and he had a no hitter through seven, it would not be considered a no hitter via Major League Baseball stats. I understand that. I understand because a no hitter is, you know, a complete nine inning game. But when that rule was written, there was only nine inning plus games. Unless the game was wiped out due to a rain delay. Or, you know, you know, it was, you know, five and a half innings and then called off. Seven inning double headers suck for so many reasons. And first and foremost, a situation like that. Or, you know, somebody who needs a certain amount of at-bats to reach a certain goal, a certain status in his contract. Or maybe somebody, you know, say you're playing the last game of the season. It's a seven-inning game, and you're sitting on 39 home runs. And you know that you'll get another at-bat if it's a nine-inning game, but not in a seven-inning game. I don't know. To me, I I don't get it. I don't understand why they have to cut the time of these games down. Like, do you can you think of a logical reason why they have to make them seven-inning doubleheaders? This isn't the minor leagues. This isn't Little League. Well, I'm guessing a little bit here because it, honestly, this it kind of came out of left field for me because there were a lot of changes to the game this year. And this was one that that slipped by me a little bit. It doesn't seem to make much sense. <laughs> I mean, it, it you know, are you going to, if, if it's a, a COVID thing, are you going to be exposed to more COVID between the seventh and ninth innings? Is the, I mean, well, it's like in Montreal where COVID becomes much, much more deadly. It makes much sense as a curfew, right? Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, if, it, if it's that, it doesn't make any sense. Um, if it's more of this concerted push to speed the game up, you know, th- yeah, we're at a crisis. Be- how many hours did they put between game one and game two on Saturday? Hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But when did game two, what time did game two start? It's not even that. I mean, the push is about making the games themselves shorter, right? Mm-hmm. So, so not the whole experience of the doubleheader. Because how much does Major League Baseball, do you think, really care about the fans in the stands for this decision, right? They care about the TV audience, the viewership. They want a short, compact thing that they can sell, and they want it smaller than it is, right? I can tell you this, Thomas. I've seen 14-inning games that have appeared faster to me than a 7-inning game. It's not the amount of innings that makes a game long or short. It's It's how fast the game goes. How quick the innings go. Are pitchers going deep in the counts? Are guys taking too much time between pitches, both pitchers and hitters? Honestly, I get all societal with this, right? It's quicker, quicker, faster, faster. I'm going from a mental health perspective. You know, when I was sick, I wanted those games to last because that's how I cope, right? But but now that I'm healthy, I enjoy those games. And if I'm playing the guitar, if I'm playing with my kids, if we're playing a board game in front of the game, you know, it's always on. And, and, and that's how I kind of consume it. I couldn't imagine being in a rush 
I mean, that was always the great thing about baseball, I think, for a lot of fans, is that you can kind of ebb and flow from the game, right? You don't have to, it doesn't have to be compact. It's, it's antithetical to everything in our society right now. It's that thing that you can just kind of, you know, venture in and, and watch a little bit of and come back to. And, and I would hate to see that lost. Like, I love Blue Jays in 30. It's a lot of fun, but I don't want baseball to be delivered like that all the time. Do you ever, do you ever play Scrabble? Not in a long time. Okay, but you don't. You don't. You. I, I know some people that use a timer in Scrabble, but Scrabble is meant to be played without a timer. Okay, it's not about how long it takes. You don't want to put a timer. Baseball has always been a game that's been so beautifully new, unique because there's no clock, mm-hmm. and now you know you've got the in between pitches. I don't even know if they're still using that now, but it doesn't make sense. No. And, and you can see, I mean, there's so many arguments with it because there was, I mean, there was a definite with all the pitch changes, with all the specialization in the game, it was bogging down. It is bogging down the game. It is slowing down the game. Right. But you got to be so careful. I think about how you address it and how you, and how you move to speed it up. Right. You like, you always want something happening. You don't just want it to be an endless series of warmups. Right. Do you, do you think fans of chess, a game that is, you know, probably thousands of years old. Do you think anybody that is a fan of chess says, I wish we could speed this game up? No, because there's so much strategy involved. That's but part of playing the game. seeing everywhere. This is a push. Golf courses are being designed with six holes, right? <laughs> you know, it's we're a microwave society. You know, I'm part of probably the last part of, the, you know, someone who grew up when the microwave actually became a, a regular household item. It wasn't a regular household item for me until I was, you know, 12, 13 years old. We My got microwave, microwave caught fire this week. Okay. You're not supposed to put tinfoil in there, okay? No, I know. <sighs> it was the weirdest thing. Okay. Speaking of, speaking of weird things, uh, what is up with George Springer? And how serious is this injury? We shall find out next. And stay tuned. Rob Ducey is coming up. There's Tom Forth. I'm Barry Davis, and you're listening and watching Out of the Park. Foundation Physiotherapy presents The Medical Room. And we're joined by our good pal, Raj Sapaya from Foundation Physiotherapy. You have three locations that you could actually go to right now, Raj. And for anyone out there who is concerned about COVID because it's it's getting worse and people are all getting all upset again. Let people know how safe it is to get treatment at Foundation Physiotherapy. Oh, 100%. We're, we're, we're essential workers. Uh, the clinic's business is essential. People need to get their physio, their, their therapy, right? Um, there's been almost little to none transmission that happens in healthcare settings. Our, all our healthcare providers, if you come into clinic, we're full PPE goggles, mask, uh, gloves, if you prefer, depending on what injury set we're working on. Um, but, but we're at, at very safe. Um, and, uh, you know, virtual options are available too for people that might need, just need to some exercise training or something like that, or some stretching to learn offsite. But certainly we're safe, we're essential, and we want to help people right now, especially move and feel better in a tough time for everybody. So, you know, that's what we're there for. Thanks, Barry. Love the rainbow blue jay hat you got on there today. 
Looks awesome. Yeah. Uh, let's, yeah, it was a beautiful day. I was outside today just enjoying the sunshine. Let's talk <clears> a little <throat> bit about the Toronto Blue Jays. And, man, they've been hit hard by injuries already this year. The most concerning one is George Springer. Now, he had the quad injury and took some batting practice uh, earlier in the week, and then all of a sudden it's kind of determined that he's not going to be playing on their upcoming road trip. What is it about the quad that has uh, become such a concern uh, for a ball player like George Springer? Quad is, is a concern for most of us. It's it's a big thigh muscle right in the front. If you think of you know where your groin is, where your hip is, goes down to your knee, that majority of that, that muscle is your quad. Okay, that's responsible for something like squatting. It's responsible for kicking, uh, extending your leg to take a step, going upstairs, going downstairs, right? Running, um, turning. Like the, the quad is, is, is it's also the, the largest muscle in our, it's, it's one of the largest muscles in our bodies uh, and it can create a lot of power. So obviously for an athlete, you know, um, with hitting, with running, with even stopping, um, just that takeoff movement, they're going to need a lot of power through his quads. So Quads are extremely important, um, and so there is going to be some, you know, maintenance and, and work on his end to get that better. So as he's recovering from this quad injury, because it is such a big muscle, is it easy for him to stay in shape and to stay game ready, or is it something he's got to watch everything he does while he's recuperating? Well, so the, the, the thing with the quad is it's, it's also called a quad. That means there's four muscles. So it's actually, we, we don't think of it as one muscle, right? That's one muscle group, but it's actually made of four different muscles that, that do little things. So, you know, from an athletic perspective, from an athlete's perspective, quads also from a quad contusion can heal pretty well because they have three other muscles, depending on which quad is affected. Uh, they have three other quads that they can use from because it's such a powerful muscle and it's so superficial, meaning it responds really well. It's not very deep, right? You can see it, you can feel it. You can actually respond really well to therapy and to training. So typically like quad injuries, quad contusions can heal quite well. You know, people that pull their quad, typically they can feel better in a few days. Uh, so, you know, as long as he's getting the right therapy, getting the right training, you'll probably see his recovery do, do pretty good. Raj, I remember when Vince Carter was a Toronto Raptor and he constantly was out of the lineup with knee injuries, but he also had a lot of issues with his quad. Is there any correlation between, like, could a, could a quad injury lead to a knee problem? Could a knee injury lead to a quad problem? I mean, they are so close to each other. Yeah, so the, the, the quad actually connects to your kneecap, right? So, the, you know, when you think of, like, your, your, your knee kind of extending and bending, right, your kneecap is here, your quad is here. So your quad is responsible for that movement. Um, so it goes either way, right? If, if you have a quad injury long enough, your knee isn't going to move well. Um, but also if you have a knee injury, so for example, people that have torn ACLs, they might not have a quad injury, but they have like an ACL injury or another injury like a fractured patella. Uh, because they don't move their knee so much, their quad gets weak over time. So whichever came first, the quad will weaken. So if somebody has if a basketball player, for example, that encounters a knee injury, He's not bending as much to the knee. He's not squatting as much to the knee. He's not putting as much load to the knee. Hence, his quad doesn't get, he's not able to train the quad as much. So the quad, as a result of the knee injury, will tend to get weaker. Well, Raj, it is always a pleasure to have you on. And I know you said the quad is the one of the largest muscles in the body. So let me ask you this. Would my quad be as big as the smallest muscle in your body? <laughs> well, come on, Mary. Give yourself some credit. Yes. This might be as big as, might be as, big as my, my second smallest muscle, but, you know. Okay. <laughs> Which is your brain, right? <laughs> oh, let's not even get there, guys. Ouch. Raj Sapaya, always a pleasure. We'll talk to you next week. Bye, guys. 
Joining us from his home in sunny Florida is former Toronto Blue Jay, Rob Ducey. Now, I know you played for other teams, Rob, but I'm going to say former Toronto Blue Jay. And I'm also going to preface this by saying the people at Baseball Reference, they do a wonderful job keeping track of all the stats and all these wonderful things. But have you ever looked yourself up on Baseball Reference? Well, a few times. Do you see what you're... A few times. Do you see what jersey they've got you in and hat? Oh, no, I don't know. They've got you in a Phillies hat and jersey on baseball reference uh, i mean come on right <laughs> uh I, well i have no control over that maybe i'll just write a letter i'm not sure <laughs> um, well, well you know what rob oh sorry if you had your choice what jersey what hat would you be wearing on baseball reference well obviously uh, being part of you know i'm, I'm uh, born in toronto raised in cambridge uh there's no doubt that uh there's a, a part of my heart that will always be a Blue Jay. It was my first organization. Uh, I spent uh, eight years there, uh, minor leagues, major leagues, uh, had built many, many friendships, uh, great experiences there. Uh, some other experiences, but great experiences there as well. Um, being a Blue Jay, no doubt. You know, well, in, I want- in, in, in any, in any, you know, photograph. I would be very, very proud to be a Blue Jay. You know, have a Blue Jay photograph in, in anything that I'm I take part in. 
I want to get into mm-hmm. your, your baseball career in a moment, but before we do, before we go back, let's move ahead. And uh, you're not, no longer officially involved in baseball now, but you have your own business that you're doing. Tell our listeners and viewers a little bit about what you're doing, and hopefully uh, we can get your services here in Canada at some point. Well, uh, it's the financial services, and, and I'm under a, a company called PHB Agency, and it's the umbrella company that uh, debt services. So 401k, rollovers, uh, annuities, life insurance, uh, debt solutions, those types of things. I, I got kind of interested in doing this because of some of the experiences that I had going, you know, going through baseball and financial advisors, some of the advice that I, I received, some of the things that uh, had happened to me. And I don't want that to happen to, to people. And, and you hear that all the time. Oh, I, I'm, you know, I've, uh, my crusade is is uh, to help people, but mine truly is. I'm at this stage in my career where, where the experiences that I had, uh, I can uh, not only I'm not targeting players. I'm targeting anyone. Anyone uh, uh, can have a financial uh, service representative, and it doesn't matter whether you make you know twenty thousand dollars a year or two zillion dollars a year. It doesn't matter. Uh, I don't want to invest your money or we don't want to invest your money. We want to help you protect your money. We want to put uh, policies in place that are suitable. Uh, I just did a, a, uh, I looked at, and I haven't adjusted it yet, but I looked at uh, two policies that my friends had and both were a million dollars. And both of them, by the time they're 75 years old, their premiums could be yeah, the uh, uh, insurance company could uh, charge them $82,000 a year for that, that exact same policy. So a lot of times people don't really know what they, what they sign up for. And uh, the explanation of what living benefits uh, can do for us these days, as far as I was always under the impression that, man, I'm paying all this money into an insurance policy. And the only way that anyone's going to benefit from it is if I die. So that's my, was my thought process. Most of us feel that way. Yes. For many, many years, but not anymore. Insurance. Now they have a lot of policies that have living benefits attached to them. So that if you get sick, if there's a chronic illness, uh, or, or a, a, uh, uh, a critical uh, scenario where you get diagnosed with with a, a disease and you have so much to live, you can pull money from that uh, insurance policy to create a bucket list if you want, or to pay off medical bills. And and in the U.S., sixty uh, percent of all bankruptcies are because of medical bills. So uh, the insurance policy, because of or the new kind of style of insurance policies. Uh, because of the living benefits, can help you through that. It's something that a lot of Canadians don't take into account is that that health benefit. I myself am, am someone that was very lucky to have insurance because I was working, healthy, things were good, and then I came up to a you know a really long term serious illness for three years. And had I not had that insurance coverage, things might have been very very different in in my life. Um, you know, as an advisor, you know, coming out of baseball, I, the, the question I kind of want to ask is what the biggest financial mistake that most baseball players make. But 
you know, looking at sort of the whole world, you know, what's the biggest financial mistake that most people are making? And is that the same as what most baseball players? Are? Let's invest in this business. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we got this great business that we're going to build and we're going to and, and it sounds great. And for a second, it is because it's building and, and OK, we're, we're cooking with gas. I've been part of three different companies, uh, part owner of three different companies, and th all three of those companies no longer exist. So uh, your investment is gone. It's not like a stock. It's not like, no, no, your investment to start it up and, you know, have a, a payroll and it's gone. And you wonder, oh, gosh, what happened? Well, the one time or two times the stock market. Oh, that, that crashed. I, I was part owner of a mortgage company. Well, at that time, real estate market and gone. Uh, a paint company, a golf course management company. Oh, well, of course, when the market hit, no one was playing golf. So things, things happen along the way that those, those companies, uh, because I was just an, an investor, uh, I was just on the sidelines watching and I had no control of the business itself because I didn't know anything about those. And I think that's probably the biggest problem that, that most uh, people that lose their investment through that scenario is they're not involved in the business, in the day-to-day. -day. They're not, uh, they don't know anything, anything about that particular business and they're at the mercy of whoever's running it. Uh, you know, there's a, a guy that I'm sure you know really well that probably wishes you were doing this back in the 80s, and that's Ernie Witt, because he went and put a lot of money into a mother's pizza, and that did not have a happy ending from what he told us. Uh, well, again, that's we we think that uh, it's a good idea. It sounds great. Uh, the the uh, person that's that's bringing this idea or, or presenting this project to you. Uh, it's pie in the sky. And a, a lot of times they're playing monopoly with your money. And I, I am not an investor. I'm not going to tell you to uh, in, invest in X or Y or the stock market or uh, uh, this business. I want to help you protect your, your future. I want to protect anything that you want to protect. I want to help you protect that. And that's, and you can do that through insurance. You can through that and you can do that through annuities. And again, this is becoming a bigger concern these days. And I know in Florida, most things are opened up again here. We just went into another month down complete lockdown. Businesses owners are, are dying right now. Uh, businesses are going down day by day. And a lot of, just the average people who have found themselves unemployed are now reaching into their RSPs or going into their retirement funds to, to live off of. And, and obviously that's, that's no way to live because you're destroying. I, I know you're not an advisor, but with the knowledge you have, I mean, what do you think would be the best thing for someone who's facing a COVID lockdown and now going, okay, now what do I do? Well, that's where you, you may have to get the entrepreneur's, uh, scenario uh, and kick that into gear. You know, there's there's ways that you can make extra money. Uh, the, the, I'm taking notes. Go ahead. Yeah, no. <laughs> 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 the, 
No, there's there's obviously there's there's ways other ways to make money. It's not just how I do things. It's not just okay. I just got laid off uh, of a job. Now now what do I do? Well, I can collect on un- unemployment. Well, okay, you can do that, but that runs out. Uh, and while you're collecting unemployment, you're going on trips. You're you're doing this and you're doing that, and with no concern down the road. And you can actually start your your business going, your your entrepreneurship going, while those those days, uh, whether it's uh, in between jobs or as you have a job, and that's where I'm trying to get people involved doing what I'm doing while they still are actively employed, so they're not worried about a paycheck. But when and this is perfect for teachers. This is perfect for uh, because you have the summer off, you have, you know, have time. Uh, this is perfect for baseball players, young, not, not the millionaires. Okay. You got this and that. Okay. But most minor league players, when they go home, they get an off season job and they, they do this and they dabble in that and they drive a truck for UPS or, or work for someone, you know, their, their roofing company or, or do landscaping or, you know, a variety of, of jobs. This gives them an opportunity to build a, a platform for their agency when their last pitch is thrown or their last swing at a slider in the dirt is, is taken. And it's not sit in their locker and say, okay, now what am I, I going to do? Or at the end of the year, go home and say, okay, now what I'm going to do? No, I'm just going to pick up my agency and keep on trucking. And I'm going to build this. And, and that's where the flexibility of being a licensed uh, life insurance agent or realtor. I mean, you can, you can, you can be a, a realtor. You can be a, a life insurance a, a agent. You can be a number of different things, but I chose this because uh, of the more so of the crusade than uh, the actual profession itself. Now, was this something that you got into in your playing days, or is this something that's come to you, you know, afterwards? After, when yeah. I played, it was like, oh man, oh, I'm 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 made of Teflon. I'm, <laughs> I'm never gonna get old. Uh, I'm never gonna rust. I'm never, you know, I'm I'm always gonna be, you know, 25 years old. No, we it, it goes fast. It goes fast. It's amazing how quick it is, and. Uh, how you know is you you have a short window as a professional athlete. Uh, you have a short window as, as just a regular human being. You, it, it, life goes fast, <laughs> so having a, a plan is great. Whatever that plan is, whatever that dream is, whatever you want it to be is great. But make sure that you have a plan B, and maybe even think about a plan C just in case those two don't work out. So it's not okay. I, I and and uh, categorize yourself as just X. No, we're we're more than that. We we you know I, I always thought well all I all I know is baseball. I've learned so much uh, in a very very short period of time about financial services and and about uh, things that that were not presented to me uh, when way back when that could have made a difference now and wouldn't have 
the stories that you hear of, of these young, you know, uh, and not so young anymore, but uh, athletes losing millions and millions and millions of dollars. Well, how is that possible? How do you lose millions and millions and millions of dollars? It's because you don't have control of it. Someone else does. I remember the first pro athlete that I remember hearing anything like that, I think it was Jack Clark. And, you know, this guy, Clark. yeah, the guy, the, you know, he's a major league player. He was an all-star. You figure this guy's set for life. And then you hear years later, he's gone bankrupt. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, how does that happen? And here, you know, most of us are just scraping by, but we always, look, I, I was paid comfortably when I was working at Sportsnet for 14 years. Now I'm making a fraction of that, but I'm making ends meet better now than I did when I was making more money. Is that uncommon? Is that normal? Is that something that, that is, you know, you see? Uh, I, I think it's the, the live within your means, correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when, when you're in the big smoke, you're going to dinner a lot and you're, you know, you're, you're socializing a lot more and, and the priorities are a little bit different. Uh, when you're younger, uh, I think as you get older, you understand uh, that I've lived in this house for 24 years now. Um, uh, we end up building, we, we've lived in this area for 31 years or so, uh, just north of Dunedin. So spring training with, with the Blue Jays is right there. We, we came here and it's like, okay, we like this area, we're going to stay. And we end up staying and we built a house in this, this community and uh, uh, I you know, I've never had a lavish la- uh, lifestyle. I've never, uh, you know, I don't have a c- cigar boat. I don't have a, you know, we went through our car stage where we had some cars. What's the best <laughs> one you had? Well, uh, at, <laughs> at one time, uh, and I would choose what, how I felt. At, at one time, we had an H1 Hummer, uh, S500 Mercedes, and a 996 Porsche. So... Whatever you were feeling uh, that day, uh, car by mood. <laughs> yeah, it, it was like okay, what do I feel like driving today? So, but those days, you know, uh, again, when you're young and you're you you know you're out there. Um, fortunately enough for me, that that was all that we kind of did. Uh, we didn't have, we didn't, you know, buy another house in in the Hamptons. We didn't buy this and and. We didn't go to the French Riviera on trips and things like that. We, we didn't have that type of jet setter lifestyle. So fortunately for me that uh, I've been able to maintain what we uh, currently live in. So, um, but I, I think that uh, people understand, okay, I, things that I can do, things that I can't do. And I don't, do you have children? Me? I have a 21-year-old. Okay. Just, All right. Just well, as as uh, as you get older, you, you know, you, you evolve, you get married, and you have children. Now the priority is more of, on the children. Yeah. Well, Tom can relate more to that because Tom's got you got two young ones, younger. Yeah, nine and nine and eleven. Oh, jeez. So. Yeah, okay, just starting. <laughs> and one wants to yeah, be a ball too, player. <laughs> and they're too young to generate. Mm. Oh no, but but uh, this is like minor minor employment. Yep, yep, chores, exactly, exactly. Yep, yep, chores, exactly, exactly. No, I have a thirty-year-old, I have a twenty-seven-year-old, and I have a twenty-one-year-old. Uh, so the uh, the thirty-year-old and the twenty-seven-year-old went out in the jungle, and it was pretty hard. They ended up coming back to reset. 
And I'm, I'm okay with that. It is hard out there. Mm -hmm. It is hard out there. But when you're single and you're, you know, you're buying this and you're buying that and, and you're saying, Hey, I can't do this and I can't do that. I, I need to be able to, to come home and regroup. You actually, that's a, a life lesson. Say, listen, this is, it's not permanent that you're able to come home. I'm glad that I'm able to do that for my kids, but I don't, they're not, it's not a permanent scenario where you're going to be 40 years old and, you know, living in the back corner here. Um, no, regroup, reset, and you're now more aware of what you need to do to survive out there. Go get them, go get them. And I'm okay with that with that thought process. I'm, I'm fine with that. Uh, my, my daughter, who is a junior at uh, University of Central Florida, uh, taking chemical engineering and school's really hard. And uh, she's over there. We actually, the, the dog that I was referring to earlier uh, is her dog. So now we have a dog that we never had, we never had pets <laughs> with, with the kids growing up. But now we have my daughter's dog. So. <laughs> Who knows? Ooh, it's crazy. But uh, again, <laughs> going back to your thought as far as um, uh, is it uncommon? I don't think so. I think we, we mature and we, we, we adapt to our surroundings. If I only have 50 cents, I can only buy 50 cents worth of stuff. And okay, I'll make do. You know, it's you bring up your kids and uh, I just got to ask, as, as a player yourself, uh, any of your kids play? Did they choose baseball as part of their path? And how did that work out if they did? Yeah, my oldest son loved the game, loved baseball, still loves baseball. He goes out every now and then and, and, and plays in a men's rec league here. Um, but he played football in high school, and his motor skills were more for football. He ended up going to University of, of uh, Charleston in West Virginia and played football there for five years and tore his ACL. And, uh, now he's, he, you know, he, he plays a little rugby and he's had two surgeries on it. Um, he, he loves sports. Uh, my second, uh, son was okay with the game at pretty much almost as athletic as I was, you know, he, and, but he was afraid of ball. Can't hit if you're scared of the ball, because uh, he was really skinny. He was built like me, and uh, anytime he got hit, it was he, it, it hit a bone somewhere, so it didn't feel good. So he, he ended up, you know, putting that away, and and he's more of the artsy type, uh, you know, thinker, and he loves playing chess, and uh, he, you know, he does his thing. Uh, my daughter, she's very athletic. Uh, I told her that uh, uh, she screwed up in high school. So her senior year in high school, uh, she was the, uh, I can't even, she was the president of her class. She was the uh, homecoming queen, the prom queen. She played softball. She played on the, the powder puff football team. Uh, I don't know whether she played on the soccer team or not. Uh, that year, but she was student council president. I mean, she did it at, uh, at all. And I told her at graduation, she spoke uh, to the, she wasn't the valedictorian, but she, she was like speaker at 
at their their uh, thing at the Tropicana where the the Rays play mm -hmm. uh, in front of you know the, the thousands of people, and, and I was like, you know what? It was probably more at the graduation than there is at any uh, Rays yeah, game. Yeah, there was. No, there was. <laughs> no doubt, I've been there. Yes, there was. So I told her she screwed up. It's all downhill now. She can't. She's reached like she did everything. <laughs> she That's peaked too young. Oh, she was. She peaked too early. Wow. She screwed oh, it all man. up. And then so she went to to college, and you know she came home. You know two weeks because it's only uh, an hour and a half, two hours, something like that, two and a half hours away. And she came home and she said, "Yeah, you know what? Nobody knows me there." She could walk through the the halls at her high school and sunshine just followed her <laughs> but at college nobody cared nobody it, you know that's just what she was one of and uh, UCF has the biggest campus uh, as far as population of students in the country so nobody cares and that's what I told her I said you screwed it all up life's <laughs> life's <laughs> suck from now on let's go back in time Rob and you and I are three years apart so when the Blue Jays first came into existence, I was, uh, you know, how old was I? I was nine, and you were 12, right? In 1977? Yeah. Yeah. So I, before the Blue Jays came, I still was a big baseball guy. I grew up on the game. I'd watch the Saturday game of the week. I played all the time. I was in Little League the whole bit. When the Blue Jays came, then it just went up another notch for me. You and I probably had a lot of similar memories growing up you know, watching the Jays play and having our favorite players and all that kind of stuff. The difference is making it to the major leagues was never even on my peripheral. Like this was never there, but it was for you and you actually made it. So what did I do wrong, Rob? Like, like how, <laughs> you're, you're growing up in Cambridge. I'm in Etobicoke. And like, at what point does it go through your mind or were you were you ever in a place like me thinking, well, there's no way I I mean I'm Canadian for for starters, right? Like, when did it become something that it was a dream, and then when did you realize that this could be a reality for you? It was never a dream. What? No. See, that was my mistake. I shouldn't I shouldn't have. Yeah, no, I was busy doing things. I I was a fast pitch softball player. I didn't play. I played fast pitch <laughs> softball till till the age of. Uh, my first full year of baseball only, I was 16 years old. So I played fast pitch softball from, uh, I believe it was eight years old and registration was, I don't know, $8, I think at that time to play in the local Galt uh, fast pitch, uh, like little league type, uh, you know, fast pitch league. Mm -hmm. So I played in, in a place called Soper Park. And I played in that little league and we played, I don't know how many games we played, maybe 10, I don't know, something like that for the summer. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I was uh, 10 or 11 years, no, no, I would have been eight, nine, 10, somewhere in there. And then uh, when I was 15 was my first baseball experience. I played fast pitch softball uh, one night and baseball the next. So in between, I was kind of flip-flopping back and forth. And I almost quit baseball because it was boring. It was, it was too easy. It was too slow. 
Uh, I played center field for on our fastball uh, team, and man, I could I could go all over the place. I could I could back up second on a throw. I could do all kinds of stuff. I could have plays with the catcher. Uh, I could I could go everywhere. Baseball, it was like, man, eh. and the pitching was slow compared to fast pitch, <laughs> yeah. super slow. Because in in Cambridge, it was the Cambridge Gores were the the you know as popular if not more popular than the cambridge terriers uh and because i was a part of the softball world that was my my i envisioned myself playing for the cambridge gores when i was young that's what i wanted to do that was my dream not the toronto blue jays so that being said uh i started uh in 80 that was like 1980, I believe, somewhere in there. And then in 83, 82, 83, in 1983, I went to college. Uh, I, I went down to Florida and got a college scholarship. Uh, very fortunate that uh, I was able to play. I was on the field every day. And, and that really sped up progress. And I signed with the Blue Jays in 1984. And I was in the big leagues in 1987. You just yada 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 over probably the best part of this whole thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like from college, like just the scouts come up and a scout from the Blue Jays is there. Like, how? Well, he had seen me. I, he had seen me in in Cambridge, um, because when I was I was the <laughs> I was the catcher for the 15, 16 year old team. I was a center fielder for the 17 to 21 year old team. And I was the backup catcher, for the 21 and older team. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, this, this is not a hard game it, for me in my mind. It was like, I'm just playing. So by that, by the time that I got to the big leagues, which was, uh, that was in, in, uh, 82, I believe in 1982. Yeah. And then five years later, I'm in the big leagues with Toronto. I, I'm just playing. I'm just playing a game that, you know, uh, sauntering around and uh, I don't, I, I'm as green as the grass and I'm just having fun. But I, you know, I'm, I'm playing at it, obviously a, the highest level in, in, in our game. And it wasn't uh, until that love kind of got pulled away from me when I got sent down and back up and you got, you got to do it this way and you can't do it that way. And, and it's like, I didn't know I was just out there playing. So there were things that it wasn't that I didn't know how to play, but when I was told you can't play like that, it started to, to grind away. It was, if, if, you know, turn back the clock, if I would have just had the, the wherewithal to say, you know what, just let me do it my way and, you know, don't worry about it. If I fail, I fail. But growing up in Ontario, growing up, you know, I'm Canadian. I'm still, you know, I, I respect my elders. I respect people. And, and you know, uh, if you ask my teachers, they would say, no, I, that's not true. But um, I, I, I respect uh, people's opinion and people of authority. Okay. You know, it's. Uh, this is what we want you to do. Okay, I, I, I'll, I'll do that. And had I just been able to just do what I did, now it could have been, it, 
could have, or not could have, it would have been different as far as uh, what came about as far as the, the my, my uh, potential as far as playing. I didn't play very much. I played for a long time, but I didn't play very much. I wish that I, I could have been an everyday player, no doubt, but that didn't happen. So. You know, it's, it's funny, coming up like that, as, as a Canadian player coming up with the Canadian team, um, I, was, I would have been nine when you broke uh, with the Jays in 87. And I played in the BBMSA uh, Bramalee Softball League. So, you know, we were very, very aware as players. All the kids I played with knew exactly who you were. You know, in right up there with the, the George Bells and with the Lloyd Mosby's, you know, to, to the Canadian kids that were playing in leagues, like you were what we all were aspiring to be pretty instantly. And, you know, but as a young kid coming up in 87, did you have any idea that that, that people were looking at you like that? No, was I, that and, and, and no, no, I didn't. Uh, not until maybe 90, 90-ish. Um, no, I was 20, uh, 21 when I first got to the big leagues, and I turned 22 that year in 87. And I wasn't ready for that. I really, really, truly wish that I had got an opportunity to play in Kansas city, Minnesota, somewhere else. And then came to Toronto at much more mature. I wasn't ready for that because, you know, it was the hottest tick in town. We, <laughs> we were, uh, you know, sold out every night, whether it was exhibition stadium or the sky dome at that time, Roger center. Is it still at Roger center now? Uh, we call it sky dome. So, <laughs> okay. All right. Good. So, do I. So, do I. so whether it was, was either, or we were, you know, the, the top of the town, I was, I grew up there and uh, uh, I felt like I had the, the Canadian flag on my back. Every time I, I went out onto the field or every time I went out to, to eat or, so I wasn't prepared for that. I was, you know, I was young. I was young. I couldn't go anywhere in Toronto because of that. And so uh, I was intimidated by that. It, it, it that was like, man, I, I, I didn't know how to react to that. Why? Because I wasn't mature enough, you know, to have that thrust upon me, even though I wasn't an everyday player, but I was part of, of this franchise that was like Canada's team. Now, not necessarily, you know, the Montreal Expos was, was uh, still there, but the Toronto Blue Jays, that was Canada's team. And to be part of that and to be a part of those, those uh, pennant winning and then eventually World Series winning teams, it's like, man, uh, uh, I'm having trouble at work and then I, I have trouble at home, you know? So I, I, I didn't play very much and I wanted to play, but obviously Bell, Mosby, Barfield coming up and am I gonna play over them? I, in my mind, I should have, you know, I should have, but you know, you got the MVP, you got the home run king, and you got a, a an all star. Mm -hmm. uh, but in my mind, I was better than him, which in reality I was not. But in my mind, I was. 
So you all, you know, I always had to have that that thought process to keep me going. May 1st, 1987 was the day you made your major league debut. You make it at Exhibition Stadium against the Texas Rangers, okay? Now, take us what you can recall about that experience because were you still living with your parents at that time? Um, not really because, no, I, uh, I went to, I wasn't living anywhere, which is funny. I really wasn't living anywhere. Because right, because your, your, your residence was not in, in Toronto anymore, right? You were now living most of the time in the States before you made it to correct. the Correct, but yes. I, in the wintertime, I played winter ball as well. So I went to Venezuela for four months or three and a half months or something like that. And wherever I played, uh, I was there for the summer. I was here in the spring, here in Florida for the spring. And in the winter, I was in Venezuela, so I wasn't, I didn't live anywhere. It's wherever I was playing uh, at that time. And I, I think I only had, uh, in 87, I... Uh, oh, I've got it in front of me, so I can tell you what you did. <laughs> no, no, no. I, well, no, I, you don't have that in front of you, what I actually did. It, yeah. It, I know what I did on the field. No, I was just <laughs> trying to remember where you were that day. <laughs> yes. Oh, that day? Like the day leading uh, up to that major league debut. Was it a night game? It was a night game. It was, okay, so... uh, it, it was, I forget who was, who was started uh, for the Rangers. But that morning I woke up at, I don't know, six, six o'clock and they put me in. Uh, I don't, I'm, I'm sh not sure if it was the Sheridan or the Ritz or somewhere in Toronto. And uh, I woke up, obviously, the excitement uh, of me, you know, finally making it to the big leagues. And, and I was butt naked. I was on the penthouse suite, like uh, one of the suites, ripped open. I'm downtown Toronto. It's six in the morning, whatever. The sun's just starting to come up. Ripped open my curtain. And I stood in front of the, the, the window like this, like I have arrived, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> I vividly remember that. So that day I go to the, the ballpark and the night before George Bell gets an argument with, with Jimmy Williams. That's right. Over the DH. Yes. And uh, he throws his bat in the stands and, you know, I'm, I'm coming in. I don't know. I'm, I'm impervious to this and I really don't care because it's not my business. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I go out and I remember the first game I get three standing ovations from uh, the fans in Toronto. Wow. Jose Guzman was the guy that you were facing that night. Okay. Yep. And then Mitch Williams of all people comes in relief. I don't remember that. Yeah. But you got to, so your first, first at bat, you hit a fly ball. The second. Oh, at bat, yes. Yes. He ran it down right left center field. Yeah. Double. Second at bat though. You single. Yes. I, I know, know it was, was a long time, time ago, ago, but that, that had to be, an incredibly magical moment. I don't even know how you describe what that feeling would be. Your first major league hit. You probably had a lot of friends and family there that night. I'm assuming. You know what? I, I, I would assume. Yes. <laughs> it is a long time ago. I would assume. Yes. Uh, the, the, uh, the base hit, I think it was more the, the, the standing ovations that, that I got. Before my first at bat, as I walked up to the plate, after I got my base hit, 
And after I, I end up stealing a base, right, uh, right, right after that, and got another one. So it was, you know, really overwhelming. It truly was. And then you're going into a scenario where uh, you're not going to play a whole lot because of the guys that are in front of you. And you just, even though you want to play, it, it doesn't matter. They're all making, you know, X amount of dollars and, and they're going to play. Um, so it, it was not easy at all. And I got, I remember getting called into the, the CEDO's office and myself and, and Derek one day, he's like, I'm playing run derby during BB. Rob, hang on a second. We, we just, your signal just froze up for a second. And we got you. I think you're back now. So yeah, if you can pick it up from a uh, meeting with CEDO. Uh, okay. Yes. Uh, we got called into CEDO's office and he was like, hey, guys, stop playing home run derby during VP. And it was like, but we don't even play. So it doesn't matter. Because we had Devo and Joe Carter and, and Candy Maldonado. We don't even play. I'm, you know, in 92, I had 21 at-bats August 1st. And I was there the whole year. I caught in the bullpen. I caught. I, I, I was the fifth outfielder. And, you know, I was the guy that ran out and, and caught balls uh, uh, in between innings for Dwayne Ward and all the starters. And, you know, I, I was just on the team. So that was the only time for me to have some fun. Yeah, God loves Cito, but he was loyal to his players to a fault where he very rarely pinch hit for guys. Right. Oh. So, you, you know, you're your fourth outfielder and, and extra infielder. You're right. You, you guys had really little to do. Right. Now, and you know what? Hey, here's go out and, and hit against Charlie Huff. Merry <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> really? <laughs> or, okay. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. That's, that's, that's irrelevant. That was actually my job. The Kevin Browns, the Roger Clemens, the uh, uh, Nolan Ryans, those types of guys, those are the guys that I started against. Very Andy Bennis, uh, Jack McDowell. I have more at bats against those guys than anybody else. And that was my role. That was my, I was the left-handed guy, the utility guy that gave the, the everyday guy who's typically a right-handed hitter, gave him a day off against a tough right-handed pitcher. Go up there and go get him, Tiger. You know, Battle, battle and try to do your best. And then they look at you and say, yeah, and, you know, people say, oh, you only hit 240 in your career. Yeah, but who did I hit my 240 off of? Mike Mussina, uh, Roger Clemens, Kevin Brown, uh, again, Andy Bennis and Jack McDowell, those guys. That's who I hit my 240 off. So I think it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Looking is- back... Yeah, sorry. Looking back in hindsight, is that an impossible situation to overcome? You know, it's hard enough to get to the big leagues. It's even harder to break past that barrier to get to be one of those everyday players. But starting out a young player with all the talent in the world, where they're only getting 20 at bats in four months and where those at bats are against the best players in the league, like looking back at it, does it seem like it was an impossible task? 
Uh, no, no, because you did. I wanted to stay in the big leagues. I didn't want to go back to AAA. I didn't want to go to the minor leagues. AAA stinks compared to the big leagues. So I didn't, I just said, you know what? If, if you want me to play, I'm here to play. If you don't want me to play, I'm, I'm not going to make a whole lot of noise. I'm going to try to, to do what I can to uh, have some, add some value. So it wasn't, you know, I wasn't knocking on the door and saying, hey, uh, why aren't I playing? No, if you don't put me in the lineup, it's, then you don't put me in the lineup. Um, I'll tell you a Terry Francona story. So we're in Philadelphia, and uh, I, in my first year, in, or my second year in Philadelphia, I have the Philadelphia Philly pinch hit appearance record. So that's a lot of 0 for 1s. Oh, man. That's a lot. I think I had 80-something 0 for 1s. So whether it's facing the, the starter, we weren't very good, but facing the starter uh, who's having a pretty good day, uh, the, the setup guy or the closer, a lot of, a lot of those types of at-bats. Near the end of the game, games, you know, their closer's in. Runners on base, probably, all that responsibility. Maybe. maybe. That tying run. But a lot of times, no, a lot of times not. Because the closers in there, there's not a whole lot of guys on, on base. True. So those scenarios, man on third, less than two outs, the opposition would not let me hit. They bring in a lefty to face me, then our right-handed guy would pinch hit for me. So I had at bats where I would just, I would wait on, on, on deck and I'd see the manager, we'd make eye contact. And he'd look at me, I'd look at him because I was older then. So I could play, you could play little games with, with guys. And, and I knew he was coming out to take out the pitcher. So I'd take a step and he kind of moved and, and I'd stop. Then I'd start to walk towards the, the, uh, uh, the plate, you know, tell the pitcher, uh, the umpire that I was coming in the game. They'd announce my name. I'd look at the manager and he'd smile and he'd come out and he'd take out the pitcher. <laughs> and so I looked down, I cleaned off the, the batter's box and I turned around and walked back to the bench. And it got to the point where guys on our, our team, uh, the bench coach, the manager, everyone would start laughing because I, it happened so often that they, it was almost like clockwork. So it was almost a, a, a chess move on, on our manager's part, uh, knowing that the matchup between the left-handed pitcher coming out of the bullpen and his right-handed hitter was, was a favorable matchup so wow. well rob we've in, invited uh, some of our listeners and viewers to join us here tonight so uh, sure. we're going to bring them in one at a time and uh we're going to have them uh, ask some questions so uh, we have sue we have john and we have fiona that are going to join us here and, and get their videos going and uh sue why don't we get you up first here we got to get you unmuted there you go. Sue, say hello to Rob. And uh, Hey, guys. Hi, Rob. Great hi, to see you. Hi, Sue. Hello. You. How are you? I'm good, thank you. You I know actually, each other, right? I actually have your um, program here from when you were inducted into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. And also, awesome. I you might be, look. Oh, okay. 
Thanks. Speaking Thanks. of, you, you mentioned you mentioned the entrepreneur thing, okay? So Sue, show Rob what shirt you're really wearing. Okay. Right. Fiona's wearing it. Tom's wearing it. How's that? My little Excellent. business. This this is one of my bands here, so you know, right. make a little bit of money here and there. The amazing thing is that it was uh, this was unplanned. I know. <laughs> all of us wearing the same shirt. I ordered this shirt from Jay's Walk in here in Toronto this week, and I liked the blue, so I chose blue. I had no idea that these two ladies had thought the same thing and done the exact same thing this week. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Right. So go ahead, Sue. Rob, I just wondered about you. You've played for a lot of teams. I just wondered about your experience with Montreal, the Expos, and do you think the Expos will have a team there back one day? And we really hope so because we love going there. You know, it's just so sad that what's happened. Ah, oh, man. I, you know what? I, I was with some really, really good players, obviously, Vidro and uh, Vladimir Guerrero. And uh, I, I enjoyed my time. It was un unfortunately, it, it was too short. Uh, mm -hmm. I ended up uh, rupturing my Achilles and, uh, <laughs> right after I got there. And um, my time there was too short. But uh, to answer your question, I smarter, smarter guys than me uh, wealthier guys than, than all of us combined uh, are, are making those decisions as far as whether there's the ability to sustain baseball in Montreal is there. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly, uh, they had some very, very good teams. And it didn't seem that, for whatever reason, that uh, they were able to maintain a, a base They'd, they'd show up when they were winning, but it just that maintain that that uh, uh, consistent base to sustain a a, a U.S. Uh, uh, money uh, franchise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sue, thank you so much for your question, Rob. You know you mentioned injuries, and while most players would say they take skydome over exhibition stadium any day uh, i would think that your long-lasting memory of exhibition stadium wasn't a good one of exhibition Stadium. i mean i'm sorry of skydome skydome no i uh, you know what i i uh played more yeah i, I got hurt there but yeah. uh that's okay i mean that's part of my path and uh i was able to continue to play, you know, many, many years after, you know, getting hurt. Uh, a part of, you know, everyone's, as far as professional athletes, you have to overcome different things. Uh, I would limp into the, the, the ballpark and limp out. And during the game, uh, I tried to block that out. Uh, and I did that for a number of years. Uh, just the way, that was just the way it is. Wow. Fiona, you're up next. Say hello to Rob. Hello, Fiona. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Uh, there's been many changes to the game over the years, the way the game's played. I'm just wondering what changes really stand out to you. Uh, you know what? I think the, the philosophy of it doesn't matter if you strike out. Uh, I, I, I can't believe that it's okay to strike out. And that for me, uh, no one wanted to strike out. I was embarrassed if I struck out. And I struck out a lot, but I wasn't, I wasn't okay with that. 
guys, you know, in my era and earlier, uh, striking out wasn't, you have zero chance if you strike out, none. Um, and, you know, you walk back to the dugout and guys don't even care anymore. It doesn't matter because of the analytic spin that they've put, put on some of these, these stats. Uh, man, put the ball in play. Have a two-strike approach. Shorten up and you give yourself a chance. But they, they think, oh, no, we're just going to do what we normally do because that's how we're going to get results. Uh, that's how we hit the ball the hardest. That's how we hit the ball the farthest. Well, I get that. But pitchers these days are exploiting that uh, thought process. And so that for me is probably the biggest thing that uh, I don't get in today's mindset. Fiona, fantastic question. Tom, you wanted to add something here? No, I just, I absolutely love that. And it's something that we hear echoed time and time again really right it's that why is it okay to strike out why can't you know why can't you just knock the ball the other way when that gaping hole on the left or the right you know the shift that is shift there for oh you. my god yeah. the shift rob mm -hmm. you never saw anything like that when you played did you uh not to the gr degree that no. uh, yeah not to the degree but if someone isn't going to have the wherewithal if i'm on the schoolyard and everyone's over there, what am I going to do? I'm playing the game. Oh, I'm going to hit it over there. And, or I'm going to hit it over there. Depending on where everybody is, okay, I'm, it's like kickball. I'm playing the game to win the game. Not, oh, this is what I do, and this is the only way that I can do things. No, I'm, I'm trying to win the game. So I'm going to do everything I can. I either get on base, move a runner, or drive a runner in. Absolutely. Uh, that's yeah all right last but not least john say hello to rob hey john thanks barry hi has but to wear the humble strong boy uh t-shirt <laughs> for the team three years ago that yeah. uh, was involved in that in that fatal bus crash oh, so yeah. i know it's, 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 it's not, not baseball it's uh it's hockey but Rob, a couple of things I wanted to say, and then a question for you. First of all, you played for both the uh, the Jays and the Expos, and I think you're probably one of the very few Canadians that did that. And I think and the that Olympics has to be special, right? The Olympics too, and the Olympics, yes. But Rob, I'm going to put my Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame hat on here, and a couple of things. You were um, you were given the Tip O'Neill Award as the best Canadian in the majors. And you're also inducted. And the only two other people that 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 did that were Terry Poole and Larry Walker. So you're in you're in a real lofty company there. You were inducted in 2013 along with George Bell and Tim Raines. And Tom Cheek won the Graney Award for Broadcast Excellent. What can you remember of that induction ceremony? I specifically remember you being there. And you smiled the whole time. I don't think I don't think there was a smile off your face for three days. Well, you know what? Uh, I'm so fortunate that uh, I've had the opportunity to have the experiences of not only playing the big leagues, but playing for my country, uh, meeting uh, so many people. I've forgotten more things that I've done than, and I'm reminded every now and then. Hey, do you remember? 
oh yeah, I remember that. So I, I'm, 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 I'm very grateful that for that. And I'm, I'm, I, to get the opportunity to, to uh, share experiences. And, and that was uh, being elected into the Hall of Fame. Uh, that's special. You know, that, that it's special to represent your country. That's special to play for your, your hometown team in, at the highest level of the game. That's special. So many special things have, have happened to me. And I'm, 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 I'm very, very serious about that, that uh, I, I'm so fortunate that I don't even realize how fortunate I am. You know, I can go on and on and on. And the, the things that I've done, I've, I, I had dinner at the uh, uh, House of Parliament. I mean, I, I've, I've done a lot of different things. Uh, to put one thing over the next, it's, it's almost like, uh, okay, what's next? You know, what's next? Okay, yeah, that was pretty cool, but what's next? Uh, and my what what next is what I'm actually doing now. I, I'm very, very passionate about what I'm actually doing now because I have the ability to help people way more doing what I'm doing now than what I did in the past. Uh, I can walk down the street and nobody knows who I am here. Nobody. No, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I'm just another dude walking down the street. But I have the ability to impact people's lives immensely and help them you know, with their future way more now doing what I'm doing now than I did as a player. Did I respect fans and spend time uh, uh, any chance that I get? I just signed, I don't know, 40 cards for somebody who sent me in the mail. And, awesome. and uh, I, I have no problem with that at all. But I think uh, the special part is having the ability to share my experiences with people and to help people now. There is former Toronto Blue Jay, Rob Ducey, just a, a real fine guy. And honestly, Tom, I think that may be the first time I've ever spoken to Rob Ducey. I remember when I first started with the Jays and reporting, and he was it was at the end of his career when he came back. And I may have stuck a microphone in his face possibly, but I, I think that was the first time I had a conversation. Very articulate guy. I, absolutely. Blew me away, and, and I wasn't prepared for that. I also wasn't prepared for, like, the deep memory well that, that opened up when he brought up the fast pitch. Because I had forgotten that. Like, I was a fast pitch player at the time when he broke into the majors. And I remember, I remembered as he was saying it, how big that was to me watching someone play in the majors. Folks, and as you uh, saw, if you were watching, and you would even notice if you were listening, we once again had Out of the Park Insiders on the show. And you may be saying... I'm hearing the same insiders on every show and seeing the same insiders. Is that all you have? No, that's pretty much the only ones that have been able or interested in joining these zoom chats. So folks, if you're sitting there watching this going, Oh, I'd love to get in on one of these zooms. Well, here's your opportunity. How do they do it, Tom? How can they get involved and interact in what has been a very intimate format for them? Yeah, absolutely. Patreon.com slash out of the park is the easiest way. $3, $5 a month, either or. And and you can take part in any one of these conversations. And we've got some really amazing former players lined up. And 
you know, it's an exciting chat every week. These are, these are, there's nobody else doing anything like this. So $3, $5 a month. If that's too much for you, DM myself at four Thomas or Barry at Barry Davis underscore. Yeah. What are you getting old and your memory's starting to go? What do you, what would you like? On Twitter, I always forget my own handle. But hey, DM one DM of us. Hey, we'll, we'll, we'll give you a one-off trial. If you're interested, you want to see what it's about, send us a direct message. We got you. Because we want people yeah. in on this. It's it's an amazing thing happening every week. And, yeah. you know, if you're not in, you're missing out. Exactly. Crave did a free preview this past weekend. So we're going to offer a free preview. Uh, as soon as we find out who our next Zoom guest will be, we'll let you know. Uh, we have already recorded with Eric Kratz, and that will air... Uh, a week from now, if this is your regular watching or listening day. But uh, Eric Kratz is next. Again, we want to thank Rob Ducey for joining us. And uh, Thomas, I know off the top of the show, you said that I wasn't ready. Right? Well, well I, I might have I, said that, yeah. I can tell you honestly right now, I am not ready to accept you as my co-host. Oh, no. I just don't have a choice. No, I'm kidding. See, when I, when, I, when I would insult Matt, he would laugh. When I insult him, I just feel like I, uh-oh, I shouldn't have done that. Tom? I don't I don't know why. They're always good. Yes. I'm, I'm not, not ready, ready to let, let this show go. go. No, I know. It's been a good one. It's been a good one. It's hard to let it go. Yes, yes but, but we, we have to. to. We, we shall, shall say thank you so much for making us a part of your week. week.